singing their hearts out, singing with joy, singing with praise, rising up as the people of God, the people with a purpose true and a purpose bold. Oh, when we think we've sung our last song, we just sing again from the heart. When we think we've dreamed our last dream, we keep on dreaming. Oh, sometimes we, we give it our best. We think we've prayed all we can pray, and that prayer has not been answered. We're not sure we have it left in us. And we find ourselves down. Maybe we think for even the last time. Alone. Oh God, where are you now? I'm worried about my family. Will they be able to stay in this country? And I'm worried about my brother. Can, can he go to a, to a convenience store and get home safe? God, are you still there? Is that you, God? Saying just to take another step. And another step. And standing, and then walking, and then dreaming again, singing that song again, and then from somewhere deep inside, even dancing again, even dreaming again, even twirling again to the grace and glory of God. Our God is a God of second chances, third chances, eternal chances. Just keep singing, keep dreaming, keep believing. It's nothing like being back home again with you in this place. <laughs> I know the last time I was here that some of you had taken bets on whether or not I would twirl during the service. And last time around I didn't twirl, so some of you lost money. Those of you who bet differently, you've got your money back this year. <laughs> what a joy it is to be back home in one of my many homes. And one thing that I've learned is that um, sometimes when we leave, it feels like we're leaving a piece of our heart behind, and a part of our heart has been lost and broken. But what I'm now learning is that our hearts are big, and our hearts are expansive, and there is room enough for everyone in the home of our hearts. So wherever I go, I carry you with me, and it is a joy to be back in this place today. You all took a risk on me way back in 1996. I was 35 years old, and back in those days, I, I had hair that had more inches than my waist. And, uh, and now that's reversed a little bit. And I came drawn by your vision. Your vision to be a church that would offer a counter voice to oppressive religion in this community. Your voice that dreamed of being a spiritual force in this community. And I saw my role as pastor to help you live into the vision that you had dreamed yourself. And I saw my role as pastor to hold you true to who you said you wanted to be. A church with open doors and open hearts, ready to transform this community. A church willing to take a stand. A church that believed in second chances, third chances, fourth chances, and more. So it was a joy to come and celebrate with you 
It was a joy to come and twirl. And those twirls came from the heart. But let me also say this. My heart was breaking. Because on June 6, 1996, just a few days before I came to meet you for the first time, my partner, John Raymer, died of AIDS. And on the inside, I wasn't sure I could make a move. Our scripture today, it talks about how they'd hoped that Jesus would be the one. And in my mind, John was the one. We hadn't predicted what AIDS would do to our relationship and to our home. So he died on a Thursday, and I was with you the next Tuesday, twirling on the outside from a real place, but also torn apart on the inside in a real place. And that's what I think life is like. It's a combination of joy and sorrow all mixed together at the same time. And so from a very deep place, we celebrate our faith and we twirl with joy and we hurt to the core. What I've learned is that God is with us through all of that. God joins us. And sometimes we don't recognize that it's Jesus who's with us on that road because we feel so alone and we can't see. And yet Jesus is right there, restoring our lives and rebuilding our lives. And I want to thank you, the congregation of Resurrection MCC, for being Jesus to me and helping to put my heart back together in the almost 15 years that we served together. I also want to say thank you to a God who brings love. And Andre, I'm so thankful that God has brought you into my life. And I know they're going to want you to stand and wave just a little bit. <laughs> and just like Vicki was thinking about Cassandra last night, he'll have payback later, I'm sure, for that. <laughs> But what I see in this scripture today is an invitation to Resurrection MCC to be the church that's on the Emmaus Road and to also be the church that is the destination on the Emmaus Road. Our scripture today invites Resurrection MCC to be an Emmaus church, a church where people can come with their joys and their celebrations, but also with their hurts and their questions. More than ever, our community needs places like Resurrection MCC where it's safe to ask the tough questions, where it's safe to bring the doubt, where it's safe to bring the fears, where people can come with their hopes that have been shattered and find their hopes restored and rebuilt in new ways. June 12th will soon be here, and more than ever, there will need to be an Emmaus church like Resurrection MCC. June 12th will be the reminder, the anniversary, the commemoration of the Pulse shooting. We think of those who on that dance floor that night had brought all their hopes to that place. Many of them were planning to get married even within the next few weeks. Mothers and children dancing together. That night, Pulse was like a vision of heaven right there on the dance floor in the wee hours of the morning. We know that we will need to remember and offer a place for hopes to be restored, for people to come and remember and to grieve. Resurrection MCC, you are called to be an Emmaus church where people can bring whatever it is that they are feeling into a safe place, a place where we never journey alone. 
When we find ourselves down, we rise up again and we stand. We stand with hope. We stand with joy. Resurrection MCC is called to be an Emmaus church, but we're also called to be a church that goes to Emmaus places. That means that this holy Jesus work cannot be contained within these walls. It's called to go out. Last night, we talked about some of the ways that Resurrection MCC has stood for equality and justice in our community. I listened to the testimonies from last week about the amazing things that happened here. The ministry of Tabars that happened in some previous years. That is taking the church out. That's being an Emmaus church that goes and does Emmaus things. That goes to Emmaus places. A wonderful opportunity is coming up August 3 through 5 when St. Louis becomes Emmaus for the People of African Descent Conference. It's a place where people of African descent and allies and advocates can come together to recognize Christ in our midst, to do the hard work of racial reconciliation. We have a long ways to go to be a reconciled nation and a reconciled people. So we go to Emmaus places. I invite you to join me in St. Louis and your pastor, Reverend Troy, and Reverend Vicki, Reverend Elder Darlene, and Reverend Candy will be there. And we will do the hard work of coming together and seeing Christ in each other and through each other. Oh, be an Emmaus church. Go to Emmaus places and do those Emmaus things. 45 years of love in action is 45 years of sharing the gift of community. 45 years of love in action means doing Emmaus things for those 45 years. I can remember one Sunday that indeed was an amazing Sunday. It was an amazing Emmaus Sunday. It was the Sunday after Tropical Storm Allison. And where you are sitting right now, there was four feet of water. There was even a snake or two in the place. I think someone saw an alligator. We looked around and we were not sure how we would ever recover. People wondered whether we were going to have church the next day. And sure enough, the very next day, we met over in the activity building. And we wore our rubber boots and our work clothes to church. And we did worship and we did work. The full choir showed up that Sunday, ready to sing and also ready to work. Love in action restored this place. Recognizing Jesus, recognizing love and each other on the Emmaus Road. Being an amazing, amazing Emmaus church. Going to Emmaus places and doing Emmaus things. On the road to Emmaus, we find ourselves restored in love. In our scripture, the Emmaus Road is seven miles, but for some people, it is thousands of miles. Some people are at the house in Emmaus and also on the road at the same time. One of those who had thousands of miles on the Emmaus journey was the spiritual writer Henry Nouwen. He wrote over 40 books in the last century, one of the most impactful writers. But looking closer at his story, we see that he was constantly searching for home. He was very important. He had published all these books. He had this great career at Yale and at Harvard. And yet in all of that, he felt like he had not arrived yet. He felt like people loved him for what he'd achieved, but not for who he was. 
And so late in his life, he was invited to come and be the pastor of Daybreak Community in the Toronto area. It's a community that was built with people who were differently abled, people who had their own hopes that had not been realized, people who came together to assist and to support. When Henry went to this place, he began to find his life restored because they loved him for who he was. There, all that he'd achieved didn't matter. In fact, he'd been so busy writing books, he didn't know how to make a sandwich. (laughs) So some of those watched as he learned how to do just the simple, basic things. He found his heart growing bigger and bigger in that place. And it was his Emmaus where he recognized Christ. One of the persons there who touched him so deeply was one named Trevor. Trevor is one who had a variety of different challenges in his life, was differently abled. And during one season, Trevor was hospitalized for two months for psychological evaluation. And Henry found himself missing Trevor so much. He loved the way that Trevor would assist him at the table at communion. He loved the way that Trevor would go and pick fresh flowers and bring them for the altar. Henry found himself missing Trevor so much that he called the hospital. The policy was that during this time of evaluation, there could not be visitors. But Henry called the chaplain, and the chaplain said, yes, you can, you can come and visit Trevor. So Henry went, he got there, and what had happened as well is that the chaplain had said, could we invite a few of the local chaplains to come? And would you mind meeting with them and having some lunch and some of the local writers, some of the local pastors? So when Henry got there, there was this big group of important-looking people. And Henry looked at the crowd, and his first question was, where's Trevor? I came here to see Trevor. The chaplain said, you can see Trevor after lunch. But I'm here for Trevor now. Can't we have Trevor join us for lunch? And the chaplain said, well, that's against hospital protocol. Patients cannot have meals with hospital staff. Henry said, well, I will not share this meal unless Trevor can also be included in this meal. The hospital staff put their heads together. There was a lot of tension in the air. But finally they came and they said, yes, you can invite Trevor. And Henry said, I know he will love being invited for lunch. He went and looked for him. He couldn't find him in his room, and he said, I know where I will find him. He went to the flower garden, and there was Trevor picking flowers. As soon as Trevor saw Henry, he ran up to him with some flowers. They exchanged this great hug. It was like they'd never been separated. Then they went back to the the room where they were sharing that meal. It was the golden room, reserved for these special occasions. When they got there, there again was this tension, because this was breaking protocol. When they got into the room and the prayer had been offered, Trevor looked over and he saw his favorite drink. It was a Coke. He said, Henry, I want a Coke. So Henry went over. And he poured a Coke. Everyone was watching, wondering what was going to happen next. The room was uncomfortable. Everyone was trying to be so dignified. And then about that time, Trevor stood up. 
And he said, ladies and gentlemen, a toast. They all looked and thought, oh, no, the patient has taken over the hospital. (laughs) They wondered what would happen next. They were all so uncomfortable. And then Trevor, with his cup lifted, said, if you're happy and you know it, lift your cup. If you're happy and you know it, lift your cup. If you're happy and you know it, and you're happy and you know it, if you're happy and you know it, lift your cup. Well, the room, again, was standing in stunned silence at first. But Trevor, he just continued. If you're happy and you know it, lift your cup. If you're happy and you know it, lift your cup. If you're happy and you know it, if you're happy and you know it, if you're happy and you know it, lift your cup. About that time, one in the room, dressed in her best outfit, looking her best, stood right with Trevor. Then another person there with his big notebook, looking so important, stood up. And then another, and then another. And soon the whole room was rising and singing and no longer undignified. If you're happy and you know it, lift your cup. If you're happy and you know it, lift your cup. If you're happy and you know it, if you're happy and you know it, if you're happy and you know it, lift your cup. Jesus was recognized in the breaking of the bread. And Jesus was recognized in the lifting of the cup. That day, Trevor became Jesus. He broke down the barriers between patients and hospital staff. He opened new doors and he opened new windows. If you're happy and you know it, lift your cup. This is our call. Jesus is revealed in the lifting of the cup and our lives together. If you're happy and you know it, lift your cup. Amen and amen.